When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Markia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast Live. So tonight's special live show that we're doing with LoopLive.com is called A Day of Reckoning. And we're dedicating this to Mother Earth. It is also going to be released as a podcast on 420. And of course, as we all know, the day that that day is known for is... Earth Day. So I want to give a warm welcome to our veteran listeners and to those voyaging in the dark with us for the first time. Welcome. So with this very special evening of scary storytelling, um, we've got a number of different things that we plan for you tonight. Along with our scary stories, I hope that you will share with us your questions that you have and um, If you know Something Scary podcast, and you know at the end of every story, I love to thank the author for submitting and also give you some questions to ponder because horror is life. Horror is not just something to scare you in the darkest part of the night and the darkest part of your soul. It's a commentary. It's it's an act of conversation. So... Amongst the things that we have planned for you tonight, in addition to our weekly podcast, I will be joined by a special guest tonight, Edwin Covarubias, the creator and host of the Scary Story podcast. Edwin is going to share one of his original stories written especially for us, for you, for this live show. And in between stories, uh, along with that commentary that I was talking about with our stories and answering questions, uh, we'll also answer questions with Edwin after his story as well. I just want to have some time to chat with all of you. So make sure to let those questions come in. So as for this particular show, our planet is over 4 billion years old. It's full of refreshing, sparkling bodies of water covered in lush rainforests. The earth literally gives us everything, including the oxygen we need to live. But as with anything or anyone, if you mistreat it, it will forsake you. Our once beloved home will show its evil side 
with deadly weather turning paradise to wasteland as Earth has her day of reckoning. First, a burial disturbed. Then, nature seeks revenge. Followed by deadly consequences for bullies. Finally, in our featured story, a modern twist on an old legend. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week. And of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. So, want to hear something scary? When you have the ability to travel, it is easy to get immersed in the culture you're visiting. But when you get too comfortable, it's easy to forget you are only a guest. You must play by their rules or you will lose. And sometimes the loser pays with their life. Like in this story, inspired by true events from Andy. Zayden was a videographer for Vision Earth documentaries. He traveled all over the world, capturing footage of everything from untouched forests to little-known cultures on the brink of extinction. The beautiful country of Botswana, deep in the heart of Africa, was his next adventure. A man named Kwame was to be his guide for the trip. Kwame was native to Botswana and an expert on the region. His job was to assist Zayden in everything from the best travel routes to proper safety protocols. Zayden barely paid attention to Kwame because he had done his own research on the region and felt like he was already an expert himself. That night, Kwame told Zayden, be sure he smoothed out any wrinkles in his tent before he slept. Kwame wanted to make sure the man could get rid of any unwanted insects that might be hiding in the folds. Zayden just smiled and said, amongst everything else, he wasn't afraid of some little bugs and that his job required him to be fearless. Zayden continued to protest, claiming that knowledge of these dangers, but not following the advice is what made him good at his job. Kwame was skeptical Hubris is a dangerous thing. So the next day, when Zayden heard about a funeral happening in a nearby village, he wasn't going to take no for an answer. Kwame warned him that the tradition of a funeral was deeply spiritual and not to be exploited for Zayden's audiences. When someone dies, it is believed that their soul becomes an ancestral spirit, our badimo, if their family doesn't honor them properly at the funeral, they have the power to cause bad luck for the living, terrible sickness, or even death. This only piqued Zayden's interest even further. The two appeared in the back of a procession of villagers, taking a body to its burial. Kwame sternly shook his head when Zayden took out a small, compact camera to secretly record the procession. 
Women were singing gut-wrenching hymns. There were prayers and thoughtful words about the deceased. Kwame tried to grab his arm but couldn't stop Zayden without causing a scene. Zayden got close enough to even see the person wrapped up in the hide or skin of a black cow. The body was then placed in the fetal position facing west, the direction of the ancestral world. Suddenly, Zayden's phone began to ring. Realizing he had forgot to silence it as he fumbled to turn it off, he then realized everyone was staring at him. Too late. Family members cried as their friends whispered about the outsider. A woman shouted at him, You disgrace my son's memory. Kwame finally got to Zayden, dragging him away from the grieving mob, but he was just as furious. He'd warned Zayden not to be flippant with something so sacred, but there are some things foreigners won't listen to. When they got back to their tents, Kwame went to bed without saying another word. Zayden almost felt bad, but he was pleased with the footage of the sacred ceremony that he would soon share with his millions of viewers. He went to sleep very happy, dreaming of his future acclaim. Until suddenly, Zayden awakened to a horrible screaming sound. It seems like there was a blaring fire engine right outside his tent. He burst out of it, terrified, screaming for Kwame. Kwame emerged from his tent to help, but Zayden could only see Kwame's mouth move. He couldn't hear him over this deafening noise, trying to shout over it as his head continued to pound, the unrelenting noise giving him this horrible headache. He needed to make it stop. But looking, Kwame seemed to be laughing hysterically. Zayden couldn't understand. It was almost maniacal. Then a grim realization set in. Zayden was the only one who could hear the loud blaring sound. He thought he was losing his mind. Horror gripped him as he began to suspect this was some punishment by the Badimo. I don't want to die, Zayden shrieked. His hands covered his ears as the stabbing pain deepened. He never meant to dishonor anyone, he thought to himself. He needed the torture to end. Suddenly, Kwame threw Zayden to the ground, rolling him to his side, giving his head a good shake upon the ground. Instantly, the noise stopped. Zayden tried to catch his breath. He was grateful he didn't understand what had just happened. Kwame held up a small African mound building termite. This crawled into your ear, he said. He went on to explain that these termites, if they crawl in and get stuck, they cause great pain. That was one of the reasons he kept telling him to smooth his tent of wrinkles to check for bugs. Zayden couldn't believe that little ant caused all that trouble. He felt foolish that he had actually believed for a minute that he was being haunted. Kwame told him that is why he begged him to listen to his advice, not only with the tent, but also with the ceremony. Zayden smiled and already recovering, joked how that was why he had Kwame as a guide to protect him from the bugs. Kwame's face turned grim as he warned. 
I cannot protect you from what's coming next. Zayden chuckled as he went back to his tent. Kwame looked up to the heavens and shook his head. He knew the signs. This was just one. Zayden would be dead by morning. That troublesome bug was merely the first curse of the Badimo. Thank you so much, Andy, for uh, inspiring this true event. Wow. The very fact of thinking of having a bug crawling in your ear. That's one of those things, right? It's one of those horrific real facts that there's so many spiders that you uh, eat in your sleep during your lifetime and just thinking about something crawling into your ear. Ah, I think a number of us didn't really need to hear that one right now. So how about you out there for some questions to think about while you recount this tale on your own time. Have you ever witnessed something you think you shouldn't have? Whether it be a sacred ceremony like um, with this tale that took place in Botswana or not, how far would you be willing to go to see something no one else has? The novelty of it. To be the first. You'd have to pay for that, wouldn't you? Also, is anything too sacred to share? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. If you're fascinated by the darker sides of humanity, join us every week on our podcast, Serial Killers where we go deep into notorious true crime cases. With significant research and careful analysis, we examine the psyche of a killer, their motives and targets, and law enforcement's pursuit to stop their spree. Follow Serial Killers wherever you get your podcasts and get new episodes every Monday. If you've joined us for um, any of our live streams that we tend to have monthly on uh, something scary on YouTube, you can go to youtube.com slash snarled. You know that I like to begin the stories that we have uh, from readers by lighting a candle to help 
to help us get us in a safe space and then to also release negativity that might be collecting around us. I prefer to use black candles for that. Uh, I believe in candle magic. And if you need protective candles, white candles work just as well. And then other colored candles have specific meanings to them. Like red is passion, busting through boundaries. But for today, I'm going to light a black candle as we continue our journey together. One of the things that I also love to have is a number of protection stones. Today, I have onyx, tiger's eye, and then I also have yellow mukite, which is a comforting stone. I think we might need a little bit of comfort, especially once we hit Edwin's story later on. So go ahead and move on to our next story. When you take something without appreciation for where it came from, something precious will get taken from you. Like in this true story inspired by Jeff. Virginia is known for its dogwood trees. They saturate the state and run deep into the Shenandoah. When the Iron Eagle Scouts needed to earn their wilderness badge, it made sense that the Shenandoah Valley would be their host. The 12 Scouts, with their leader Celeste, hiked into the forest to begin their adventure. The hike proved to be unusually hard for the well-trained Scouts. The troop got lost at one point. Several of them kept losing their footing on the harsh trail. And the entire time, Celeste couldn't shake the feeling they were being watched. After six grueling miles of hiking, they happened upon an open space, a large circular spot that was big enough for their tents. It wasn't their destination, but everyone was exhausted. Plus, the sun had gone down and there was an unexpected chill in the air. Celeste looked around confused, as this spot wasn't even on the map. But they needed to rest, so against her better judgment, she instructed them to set up their tents. Celeste chopped wood from a nearby tree that was all hacked up. It must have been used for firewood many times, she thought to herself. She turned to walk back to the pit, arms full, when something ahead startled her, making her drop the wood. A large, ominous figure lurked between her and the scouts. Old and weathered, he had leathery skin and was slim with angular bones. She noticed he was barefoot in the cold without any gear. A long, straggly beard blended into his tattered clothes. The man was angry, with narrow, beady eyes to match. Her heart raced as she tried to find her courage. Everything told her to run, but she had to protect her troop. Putting on a false smile, she stammered, uh, You, um, you startled me. The man stood silent. The scouts turned to look. Celeste was frightened, but keeping her composure as to not alarm anyone else. She wanted to encourage him to leave and said, We passed a rest area about a mile north if you're lost. Ignoring the question, the man huffed. That dogwood you have there. Referencing the pile on the ground. It's the state tree. You can't burn dogwood here. 
Celeste, confused. Oh, uh, well, it seemed like the only tree being used for firewood, dogwood is actually perfect for it. The man sneered as he approached inches from Celeste's face, his rank breath practically in her nose as he said, Oh, you can burn it. I suggest you don't. Everyone stood still. Look around. There's red maples, chestnut. For a place that should be covered in dogwoods, there's only one left. He pointed to the mangled tree behind him. Where'd the rest go? Celeste then noted she was chopping from the only remaining dogwood in the area. They died because every time a group of you comes here to Kumbaya, you burn it down. You think because there's a more of something, it's yours until there ain't nothing left. The man growled. I promise I won't cut any more, Celeste said. It's already too much, lady. One day you'll see that sooner than you think. The man began to walk off. Then, with a toothless grin, he turned back and ominously said, Have a good night. Sleep tight. After he was gone, Celeste took a breath. She shuffled it off as a crazy encounter and urged the scouts to get on with setting up camp. Later, in the dead of night, Everyone gathered around the campfire, roasting marshmallows over burning dogwood. Celeste figured they should at least use the pieces they cut. Then, out of nowhere, the winds began to rage and branches cracked. It was as if the trees were blowing the air directly at them. The tents collapsed from the gusts. The scouts tried to huddle together, but the wind was too strong most of them being knocked to the ground as it grew more powerful. Everyone began to panic. It just wouldn't let up. Debris flew like a tornado. Celeste, while she yelled for everyone to get down, was running for cover no one could hear. She watched in horror as they were being tossed around like rag dolls. Then Celeste noticed in the center of the fire pit stood the man. With one big breath, he blew out the fire completely. It was pitch black, then silent. The wind had ceased, as did the leaves and bugs. They could hear nothing. Celeste's fingernails were bloodied from digging her hands so deep into the dirt to keep from being blown away by the terrible wind. She grabbed the flashlight from her coat pocket and went around the circle, checking on each scout as she stood in the center where the man had been. For the most part, everyone was okay, just scratched up and shaken. Celeste began to instruct them to re-anchor the tents. Then the huge gusts returned from the canopy of trees above, slamming down on top of Celeste. As it hit her in the center of the circle, the wind rippled outward. Every single scout was blown deep into the woods by a howling gale like the earth itself had let out a scream. It took a two-day search to find all of the scouts. Another week, and they called off the search for Celeste. The scouts were broken. While their stories matched, 
The police wouldn't believe it. Celeste's troop continued to look for her for years, trying to re-walk the Shenandoah Trail, but she was never found. Thank you so much, Jeff, for sending in and inspiring this story. True events, true story. Oh, goodness. I do not camp much. I'm not a huge fan of the outdoors. Of course, 2020 (laughs) pandemic in general has changed my opinion on a number of things. If I don't have to be inside, I'd prefer not to be. But how about you? Have you ever been camping before? In fact, you know what? I think with these questions, let's go ahead and bring on our special guest, uh, Edwin uh, Covarubius. So Edwin, hello. Hi. (laughs) So can you tell us a few things about yourself and also uh, your podcast? Sure. Well, I've been writing just, you know, on and off as a hobby, just things that have happened to me before and things that I hear from my friends. And I wrote them down and and, uh, eventually I just narrated them into a podcast and set them out there into the internet. And the internet is really, really big. So there's a lot of comments that started coming in. And people were saying, hey, when is the next episode coming? So that's pretty much the story of Scary Story Podcast. And now it just publishes every Tuesday the stories that I write. Excellent. Ah, I love that so much. So, okay. So how about uh, how about you then, Edwin? I mean, for, for me personally, horror began with me when I was eight years old. Uh, it started uh, as a bonding thing with me and my dad. He was super, well, he still is, super into horror stories. And I, and I was like, I want to watch these things. Uh, so then came, you know, uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night. Then came Jason and Freddy uh, and, you know, off to the races, critters. <laughs> so how about you? How did horror start with you? If I had to, let me see, if I had to pinpoint it, I would say probably with the Goosebumps books oh, um, by R.L. Stein. R.L. Stein, um, yes. Also those um, uh, scary stories to tell in the dark books, things like that, all, all books. But then TV shows came and then I discovered radio where a long time ago they used to have these hosts that would just tell stories or their, people would call in with their own sets of scary stories and you could just listen to them directly from the people. That's, to me, I heard a story about a doll once. I don't think I slept for two days. And I was less, I was probably nine years old or eight years old. So, yeah, that's probably, I would say that's where it kind of started. Um, But, you know, things, I think some people just get followed by these things, you know, with paranormal things happening all over the place. Where you don't want to believe, but you kind of have to. Kind of have to. Uh, it's interesting. It's it's almost like um, there's there's a certain amount that you are born with being open, and then there's a certain amount that you can actually like. F- it's like flexing a muscle to be more open or more closed. But if you if you're born open to a certain point, no amount of flexing will close all the way. Um, but I love that you brought up dolls, because actually we have a question here from Stillman. Uh, Thank you so much for this uh, question. Do you own any possessed dolls or experience any paranormal experiences? I want to make this doll oriented since it started off with doll. 
Uh, so do you have that? Because I, I know that I, I have one that I can do really quickly. If, well, you actually, you know what, one of the first stories that, you know, about the, about the doll, um, got me so scared because my mom has this set of collections of these ceramic dolls with the, you know, the faces and the makeup and the wide eyes. And I, I don't know if it was my imagination growing up, but I remember hearing, you know, little chatter here and there. And I would always wonder, is it in my imagination or is it really, you know, there's something happening. So, um, but particularly, I've heard a lot of stories about dolls. Actually, the story that really scared me was about a doll who actually turned its head Oof. in front of this person. So, and I've seen some of those videos where, you know, doll caught on camera and they'll get you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, uh, there's something about a small human form, whether it is a porcelain doll or uh, you can go into hoodoo with it, with like little straw figures. There's something about giving something our shape that then allows it to be a conduit with spirits. Uh, the the really quick thing that I was, I was going to say, um, my aunt, uh, Saranda, and my uncle Calvis, when they were younger, like uh, my, my family is very open uh, when it comes to spiritual energy. Uh, when they were younger and their father had passed, before he had, he had gotten them this clown doll. And he actually played with it a lot more than they did. Like it was one of those things where he's like, it's going to get you. Uh, it's going to get you that kind of a that kind of a thing where it's like they're scared, but he thinks it's funny type of a deal. Uh, when he passed, my my aunt and my uncle uh, were playing in the in the front yard with other people from the neighborhood, and they were they were younger, and and my uncle tapped her on the shoulder and, and is like, "Dad's back." And she's like, I don't, I don't know what you mean. And then he's, he's younger than her. And he pointed towards the, the front of the house. And there was the clown doll, the clown doll that had been packed away. Wow. Sitting there and staring at them like in, in the window. Wow. Ooh. Let's go ahead and go into, you have an original story for us. I do. Yeah. So I'm, um, we're really excited to hear your story. I We'll go ahead and leave you to it. Sounds great. Well, this story is called The Ghost School Bus. And it's about a young girl that has kind of a strange encounter. Stacy was wearing jeans and a yellow shirt when the third grade teacher introduced her to the rest of the class. She made her say her name and her favorite animal, which was a giraffe. Everyone laughed at her for choosing that as her favorite animal, and she didn't understand why. Her favorite color was yellow, and it made perfect sense. Stacy used to play soccer. Practice started an hour after school, and on Thursdays, she would skip taking the school bus home and had to wait all by herself out by the empty benches. Her parents told her that she was supposed to wait inside the front office, and she tried it a couple of times. But the lady in there was grumpy all the time and made her work on her homework probably thinking that she was there for detention, so Stacy was just happy sitting outside. Walking home after practice felt extra tiring, even though her house wasn't that far away down those empty roads. So one afternoon, as she was walking home, she was relieved when she saw one 
big yellow bus, not too far in front of her, right there on the side of the road. Could she make it if she ran fast enough? Maybe, just maybe, she could reach it in time. So she ran as fast as she could, waving her arms. Her backpack was moving all over the place. Her pencils rattling against her notebooks and other school stuff as she sped through the side of the road, leaving clouds of dust behind her shoes. The driver definitely noticed her. Because as she got closer to the bus, she saw the wide open door waiting for her. Come on in, route number eight, the driver said, catching his breath soon after he said it. She had never seen that old driver before and also didn't know what that route number eight thing meant. Stacy didn't know the streets yet. The bus was older than the others and smelled even worse. But still, she was happy to not have to walk all the way home. Except her smile went away when she looked up to the bus seats just as the door was closing behind her. The other people on the bus were not children. In the front seats, she spotted an older woman with bright red hair and a man covering his face with both hands. The second seats were empty, but the third and fourth rows had a man with a beard and a black hat and a mother with a crying baby in her arms. She was going to walk a little deeper into the bus instead of taking a seat between those rows. So she kept walking past the man with the stained shirt, past a police officer, and past a few other kids. She finally spotted a girl about her age near the end of the bus with an empty seat next to her. Route number eight, right? The girl said as she moved over for Stacy to take a seat. Huh? Stacy shot back. You mean like the school bus? The girl simply chuckled and then said, I'm also route number eight. Yep, you got another one, the driver yelled, clearing his throat immediately after saying that. The old man could barely speak, but apparently his hearing was still good. In her confusion with the strange people on the bus, Stacy hadn't noticed that it was not moving yet. She looked over to the girl next to her to ask what was happening, but she interrupted by saying, there's two Highway 14s here also. The other joined us recently, and she pointed over to another girl, a bit older than both of them, who waved from one of the middle seats without turning her head. Stacy was even more confused. And that's Bingham Street over there, she said, while pointing at a man by the front of the bus. And I think we have a third avenue next. What? Stacy asked, squinting her eyes. Her seatmate sighed and said, Oh, you don't know. That's what we call each other. Then she turned her head to look out the window. That's when Stacy noticed an entire patch of hair missing from the back of the girl's head. Crusty blood was stuck to the back of her white shirt. Stacy let out a gasp, nearly falling off her seat before deciding to stand up. High route number eight, she heard from the skinny boy next to her. With those large, rotting teeth and dark eyes, Stacy's heart started racing as she pondered going toward the front of the bus. Stacy had been told over and over not to stand up when the bus was moving, but she didn't have to worry about that this time. They were at the same place. Route number eight, you have to stay, she heard from the mother by the front seats, now cradling a bloody white blanket tightly in her arms. The blanket wiggled as a wrinkled face of a baby squeezed out. Route number eight, it said. Stacy got ready to run for the door as the front passengers stood up. You have to stay, route number eight, they chanted. Stacy put her backpack in front of her, ready to tackle the passengers. 
She gathered all of her strength by taking a deep breath and closing her eyes. She ran faster and faster toward the front of the bus, ready to escape. Even if she had to push them out of the way, she could see the man who covered his face with both hands at the front of the bus. But as he let go of his face, his head rolled off his shoulders and hit the floor with a loud thud. Stacy couldn't believe what she saw. She ignored the salty drops of sweat dripping into her eyes as she ran at full speed toward the strangers. But as she was expecting to feel them against the backpack she was using as a shield, she only felt cold air. She instead kept going until she found herself against the front glass of the bus. She looked behind her. Every passenger was now standing up. Route number eight, you have to stay. Route number eight, you have to stay, they chanted. Stacy reached for the door and pulled it, but it wouldn't move. She pushed it and kicked it as hard as she could, but it wouldn't open. She pounded her fists, crying in desperation. Someone please let me out, she yelled. Secretly, she was about to accept her fate. Maybe she would have to be in that bus forever. And suddenly, wait, the bus driver yelled, coughing immediately after. Everyone stop, he whispered. We are too early. The crowd behind her complained in unison. They sounded like the crowd at Stacy's soccer games. Yep, 10 years, the driver said, looking at the book he was holding. Uh, sorry about that, darling. We'll come get you then. Then he pushed a button by the steering wheel and the door opened. See you in 10 years, the driver said. He shot her a wide, toothless smile. Stacy didn't have the time to catch her breath, so she jumped off and started running. She ran all the way home. Few people believed her. Eventually, she went from drawing giraffes to drawing yellow school buses with their scary passengers inside, labeled by street names. Her mom said that her nonsense story about the bus needed to stop. She was no longer to speak about it because they went to check and there was no school bus there. They called the schools and there were never other buses scheduled and no other bus drivers matched Stacy's description. Nobody was expecting what came next. Stacy had an accident on a highway. It was called Route Number 8, exactly 10 years after her encounter with a ghost school bus. She died instantly. They say that the ghost school bus comes to get you when it's your time to die. The passengers will only call you by the name of your stop where it picked you up. It becomes your name forever, the stop where you died. Don't worry, it makes mistakes, especially with that old driver at the wheel. If you're lucky, maybe it will get there early. Maybe you too will get 10 more years to live. Thank you. And that story is actually inspired by a lot of these ghost buses that people talk about and they become legends. You know, the kids that died at the railroad crossing or a bus that was spotted down a dark road. I'm sure there are other vehicles or airplanes that you might consider ghosts. It's not just people or animals. This type of, of stories where, where you're dealing with um, inanimate objects and things that, you know, when you imagine a ghost, sometimes you just visualize a person, somebody who died a long time ago, who's trying to get revenge on something. Or maybe it's just energy that remains in a certain spot, like hospitals, prisons. But there are a lot, and I mean a lot of accounts out there um, that I personally discovered through um, a lot of these legends and urban legends types of books, but also true 
quote unquote true stories that were written down in accounts. So I found those very interesting when I was young. Um, and I think now I would like to, to share a lot of those things, kind of give back, you know, and let other people have the chance also to, to learn about this type of paranormal uh, occurrence. I very much uh, believe in in sharing. Uh, I believe in, I don't believe in hiding things. I believe in speaking things out, but being mindful of the things that you speak out because those things will, those things will manifest. Uh, but there's, there's not wanting to be alone and there's not, and there's wanting other people to know that they're not alone. The normalization that comes with the spiritual realm. Very true. Uh, yeah, I think we all have also our own stories to share and I think it's our responsibility to share them, right? I mean, in a way. I think it is. I think it is in the grand scheme of things. Uh, oh, we have a... Okay, let's do two questions from a wonderful community here. Uh, Navia, um, are you ever disturbed by some of the stories you read? It's an excellent question, uh, Navia. And I, I guess in Edwin's case, it's uh, disturbed by some of the stories you write. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the stories that uh, has disturbed me, and you can find it uh, on our podcast or also uh, on our YouTube channel, is called Bright Like Knives. Uh, that is a true story that a friend of mine, uh, uh, that's uh, also uh, someone that I do a lot of spiritual work with, uh, him and also a writer on the show, <laughs> it's their story. It's their true story. They ran across their very own cryptid. And not only that, one that is in different places in the internet of other people running into it. So that story definitely um, chills me because I know I, I know them. And with everything that appears on the internet, that if that's true, all of them are true. How about you, Edwin? Something that you've been extremely disturbed about, something that came out of, you know, your writing where it's just like, wow, where did this come from? <laughs> Yeah, well, there was, um, you know, I've stayed back when, when I was in college, I stayed at a place where the family, I was renting a room in the basement and the family moved out because they had their own issues and they moved out and left me there. And I was there basically until they cut off the lights and everything. And that's when everything that's, you know, creepy started there because I would hear noises. I would hear all these things and actually have a story on Scary Story podcast called The Laughing Man is based directly on that. So yeah, it's uh, things that happen inspire writing and um, and also the stories of other people inspire writing. Love it. Okay. Well, we're having a uh, slightly longer episode than we normally do because uh, this is a special show. Now, this is a live, live podcast here. Uh, so we're going to go into an additional story. And then after that, uh, the story that is uh, animated, I uh, will then go into that as well. And Edwin, I hope that you'll be able to join me uh, at the end of our animated video I story. Will. In the heat of the moment, be careful what you wish for, because you just might get it. And 
you'll be able to live a long time reaping the consequences of your actions. Like in this story, inspired by Kira Ashley. Mary always felt like she had a deep connection to nature. She felt more at peace among the trees than with people. She understood its power, and she knew that if she treated it with respect, then it would return it in kind. When she was in grade school, she was relentlessly bullied because she would rather read books at the edge of the woods instead of joining the other kids at the playground. She felt safer among the trees, and every day her classmates proved her right. On the first day of summer, the town lake had a big opening day party, but Mary decided to go to the woods instead. As she sat on a tree stump, she heard the snap of branches cracking behind her. She wept around, but there was no one. As she refocused her attention, she heard the sound of a giggle on the air. Hello, she called out. No answer. Mary got up to look around a little more thoroughly this time. As she came to her feet, she yelped out in pain as a rock hurtled towards her, hitting her in the shoulder. Ow. Stunned and aching, it took her a second to figure out what had happened, but before she could properly react, more stones came flying through the air. Fearing for her well-being, she ran out of the forest towards the lake. It sounded like a herd of buffalo were on her heels. She kept running and didn't realize she had run all the way into the lake until she was chest deep in water. She tried to catch her breath as she began to cry. She didn't know what the source of the rocks were. She was embarrassed, starting to doubt her connection to the earth. Then she heard Stefano and Randall laughing hysterically, <laughs> calling out to her. Mary, Mary, thinks she's a fairy. Mary, Mary, thinks she's a fairy. As their chants grew louder, they approached her, pointing at her. To stop herself from crying, Mary bit down on her lower lip hard. So hard, she swore she could taste metal as blood dripped down her chin and dropped in the lake. The boys approached with their song of torment. They descended upon her into the water, but before they could even get waist deep, they both froze. Each boy tried to move, but despite their attempt to walk, neither one of them advanced. They realized they could go no further and tried to back out of the water, but to no avail. Fear struck their eyes as they realized they were stuck dead in their tracks on all sides. Their sing-songy voices turned to cries for help as two arcs of water leapt up from the lake and funneled themselves into the open mouths of the boys. They looked like living water fountains, only the water was in reverse. Mary realized this is what she had asked for, the Earth's protection. The sudden confirmation that she could communicate with nature both horrified and excited her. She watched as the lake was rapidly drowning her tormentors. She reveled in her revenge, but then realized their blood would be on her hands. Mary knew she had to act fast. 
She closed her eyes, bit down hard on her lip once again until blood filled her mouth. She submerged herself, allowing the blood to mix with the waters of the lake, respectfully asking the lake to release the boys. While she resurfaced, they were still drowning. She begged the lake. She begged the earth to release them. Nothing happened. Tears streamed down her eyes and splashed into the water as she screamed one final plea. Suddenly, the boys were released, and she realized that while she could indeed communicate with nature, she still had to learn its language. On shore, Stefano and Randall choked up lake water. As Mary approached, they cowered in fear. She gave a wicked smile and whispered, Run! As they ran for their lives, she realized that their taunting had some truth to it. Mary, Mary is a fairy. Thank you so much, Kira Ashley, for sharing this story to inspire this tale with us. Oh, I do love stories about the Fae. There are so many. Do you know that's one of the spirits that I have not worked with yet just because of the trickster aspect to them? It's... uh, I already have a little brother. I don't need a little face spirit uh, turning my world upside down. So uh, keep in mind that you can still ask us questions. We'll do more questions at the end of our stories. But here's some things to think about with the last story that just happened. So Mary had a power, a power of communication and connection, and it just happened to be with faith spirits, what she thought was nature itself. Would you exact revenge if you had that power of communication? If so, and I know we probably know some people that have it coming, how would you be able to live with those consequences? This next story and our last story for this particular live show podcast, and thank you everyone for for coming to enjoy this with us. Uh, This one we will be animating and you will be able to view this on our YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash snarled. Don't take anyone for granted. Everyone faces struggles unseen by others and makes sacrifices that are never known. All done to keep an evil at bay that sleeps underneath in this reimagining of the classic legend of St. George and the Dragon. George's friend, Min, had gone missing, but none of the other members of their houseless encampment wanted to talk about it. It could be dangerous living rough alone, so Min had invited her to join the community. Georgia had been living there for little under a year without any incidents, so she was surprised that everyone wasn't alarmed by Min's disappearance. Georgia kept asking questions, and finally, one of the elders of the community, Old Drew, told her that she hadn't been living there long enough to understand the way of things. He explained that every year, the community had a lottery 
and one of them was selected to go into the sewers as an offering to keep their encampment safe. Old Drew wouldn't elaborate other than to say, a deal was struck and promises had to be kept. Not satisfied with his cryptic answers, Georgia armed herself with a flashlight and knife and headed to the sewers to find her friend. Men had offered her a lifeline when she invited Georgia to live in the camp, and now she owed it to men to find her. Entering the nearby mouth of a huge drainage pipe that fed into the concrete-bedded river near her camp, Georgia voyaged on. It was a dangerous journey, as wastewater could rush through without warning. But she would soon learn that that was the least of her worries. A dugout area of the sewer led into a dark cave. This wasn't done by workers. Something much bigger had to have done this. Every instinct she had told her not to go on, but then she spied the colorful bandana that men always wore near the mouth of the cave. Men was in there. As Georgia descended into the terrifying darkness, she started to come across litter, cigarette butts, used paper towels, broken bottles, jagged open cans, and even old televisions, beat up couches, and so on. The horde continued to grow the deeper she journeyed inside. She was nearly waist deep in the sickening piles of junk and slimy garbage, when finally, she found men sitting atop one of the heaps. Men looked at her friend and started crying. You shouldn't have come, Georgia. This is my responsibility. Men shook as Georgia begged her friend to stand up. We have to go, she demanded. Men refused as Georgia steeled herself to drag her friend out if she had to. Reaching out towards men, Georgia froze as the heaps of junk and litter around them began to move. A creature rose from the piles of refuse. It was huge, bigger than any animal Georgia had ever seen. Patches of plastic, metal, and paper were fused to its body, making it nearly impossible to tell where the creature ended and its horde of trash began. It hissed. To stop me from hunting the unwanted and in exchange for allowing your community to exist above my lair, I take one of you each year. The creature shambled closer, grinning with pointed teeth. Licking its chops, the beast lowered its snout, sniffing them as it declared, This year, I will have two offerings. Like hell you will! Georgia screamed as she ran up and slammed her knife into the creature's snout. The creature reeled back and howled in pain as Georgia grabbed men's hand, scrambling out of the lair towards the sewer. The growls of the beast rang out behind them as it scraped its way through the tunnel, ripping everything apart in its wake. The sounds grew louder and closer with each passing moment. Finally, they found their way back into the drainage pipe of the sewer, sunlight in the distance. A loud crash sounded behind them as the creature burst into the sewer, bringing decades of Deatrice with it. 
Every move the dragon made shredded the environment around it. It was nearly upon them when a loud rushing sound filled the air. Suddenly, a wall of water stormed through the tunnel, tossing all of them out into the nearby river. As they tumbled through the grimy tsunami, the creature tried to bite at them with its massive maw, but the rushing current kept them just out of its reach. At last, Georgia found a crack in the concrete riverbed and managed to hold it and men tight as the water pushed the creature further and further away from them. The dragon howled for revenge, promising to bring devastation to everyone in their community. Georgia had saved her friend, but she knew her battle with the draconic creature had only just begun. And Edwin, if you would like to rejoin. And thank you so much, Dennis, for providing uh, this story for us. This is written by one of our writers, Dennis Culver. Uh, What is the story that you get that scares you the most? What is the story that you get scared the most? So uh, I'm guessing with this, like, kind of like a genre type, I would think with this. Um, well, that's the way that I'm reading it. Um, the the stories that I get that um, discomfort me the most are usually the ones that have to do with um, uh, generational gifts. Uh, someone that is born with seeing or someone that is born with hearing. And as a young person, they're then beset with these spirits or these experiences. And then they send that into us. Um, this true that true story that that gets me the most where someone being young not having their filters in place and being the world is enough having to deal with the things that a majority of the world tell you that doesn't exist on top of what self-identity and having to grow up as a person that always gets me a lot so yeah, that that those those stories like punch me in the gut. For me, I would have to say those urban legends and creepy pastas from the internet. They just they just get me. Um, and when somebody sends in a story, for example, or just an idea for a story, and they mention anything having to do with, I don't know, something that they saw, a ghost, something moving, those subtle things, I like those a lot. And they actually really scare me still <laughs> to this day. <laughs> Even though I'm, you know, older now, like I, they still scare me. Yeah, the Smiling Man is one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. uh, is, and it's also uh, the one that my uh, my friend ran into um, with Bright Like Knives, the Smiling Man. I I legitimately feel that it is only a matter of time until I run into that in real life and I'm not looking forward to it. What about like Bigfoot and UFOs? Anything about that? (laughs) I believe in UFOs. I do. That's entirely too much of a waste of space for us not to, you know. That's what I say. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it's like, it's like what? What? Jodie Foster with contact, you know, like that is a waste (laughs) of space if we're the only things that are here. I think, (laughs) yeah, I think some of our pride comes out of, that we think that we'd be a special case that they would definitely visit us. So there is, there is that it's not, there's, there's a spectrum of interaction in there. It's not, 
they want us to be a part of their intergalactic society or they eat us. You know, there's other things. <laughs> there's other things in there. Yeah. Okay. One last question. This one's from Jennifer uh, Edwin. Uh, and yeah, it's like, how do you feel after writing a story? Some people have said heaviness. I would say it's definitely, at least for the type of stories that I publish now, um, I have to get into this. It's going to sound really depressing, but it's like this sad state, mm. you know, where um, I have to, you know, close out everything. Um, once I finally let it, like, write it out, I feel I feel relief a little bit. And also, I know it sounds really strange, but you can get a little attached to your characters, you know, especially if one of them dies or you know somebody's going to hear it and they're going to be like, oh, no, like, why? You know, you, you might get some comments about it. Uh, but I think like it's those things, those stories that do the, do the you know, they do better. Um, they get more exposure. They just, they really stick with you. But I do feel a little relief when I, when I finally write it out, have it ready and just, you know, just kind of think back and I'm saying, hey, there you go. Go off into the world. Someone's going to listen to you and that's it. And then you move on to a different one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, connect and then have to disengage. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I story edit all of the stories that come through uh, with our podcast and then also our video stories. Uh, we have uh, two two writers, uh, Sarah uh, Lukasiewicz and uh, Dennis Culver, who are uh, amazing. And uh, thank goodness for them to, you know, be part of the writers team to, to have that. And of course, we have like amazing editor and um, audio people. And I... I I, I, everyone stick around for the end where you can have like credits to these wonderful people. Always stay to the end of the credits. If Marvel and DC have taught you anything, always stay to the end of the credits. Um, so for me, with all of these stories that come through, uh, it's, it's cathartic. It, it comes back to the normalization of things where it's just like, you know, um, having all these stories come in, it's like you're not the only person out there that's experiencing all of these things. All of these people are too. So that that feels good, and it feels cathartic being able to uh, uh, help adapt uh, these experiences into this podcast every week. So, yeah. So, okay, everyone. Ah. Oh. This, this has been a treat. Um, please join us every week on our podcasts. Uh, you can join me on YouTube. Uh, you go to youtube.com slash snarled and you'll be able to see our animated videos there. Obviously with something scary, you can find that on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you find your podcasts. Follow Scary Story Podcasts at Scary Story Pod or follow Edwin personally, Edwin uh, Covarubius at Edwin COV. You can follow me personally at Markia McCarty anywhere in social media. Uh, that's M-A-R-K-E-I-A-M-C-C-A-R-T-Y. Edwin and I are going to head off to our meet and greets now. But if this is where our journey together ends, then... Until next time, my dark darlings, sweet dreams.